Hello, everybody. I'm Warren Smith coming to you from Charlotte, North Carolina. And I'm Natasha Smith coming to you from Colorado Springs, Colorado. And we'd like to welcome you to the Ministry Watch podcast. On today's program, prosperity gospel preacher and Donald Trump supporter Mario Murillo led a crusade in Colorado Springs. We had a reporter on the scene. Amy Grant will be one of the recipients of the Kennedy Center Honors this year, and we have an update on the story of the Family Research Council changing its status to an association of churches. FRC President Tony Perkins reached out to us to explain why, and I'll have a few thoughts about that later in the program. We begin today with news about a Colorado Springs pastor who's had his share of troubles before. Yeah, that's right. We're talking about Ted Haggard, the former president of the National Association of Evangelicals and founder of New Life Church in Colorado Springs. He was brought low in 2006 by a scandal that involved drugs and sex with a gay escort. He has now disbanded his second church and founded yet a third congregation after refusing to address new claims of drug abuse, improprieties with young males, and a lack of accountability. This new information was first made public by a July 24 story by Debbie Kelly for the Colorado Springs Gazette. Yeah, Haggard now claims that he repented immediately for his 2006 sins, though at the time he denied the claims until Mike Jones, the gay escort, went public with his story in media appearances and in a book that he subsequently published. In 2007, Haggard signed a $200,000 severance agreement that required him to leave Colorado Springs cut off contact with New Life members and undergo counseling. Now, New Life also paid a six-figure settlement to one of Ted Haggard's victims, but those payments were stopped when the victim went public with his story. Haggard returned to the Springs without completing his counseling regimen, complaining that the agreement was overly harsh and claiming he was healed of same-sex desires. Yeah, now most of the story that we've just shared with you about Ted Haggard's history through 2006 was covered in a 2009 HBO documentary called The Trials of Ted Haggard. He established St. James Church in his home in 2010. That's about a mile from the current New Life Church, and the new church quickly attracted hundreds of members, many of them former New Life members. He marketed his new church with ads and sermons that claimed his experiences had provided him insights into sin and grace that other pastors lacked. By 2019, accusations of misbehavior began to emerge again. Yeah, Haggard was again engaging in questionable touching of young males, according to videotaped claims from two St. James members. Uh, the Reverend Kirk Sethman, who is a St. James elder, said that he confronted Haggard about this behavior. Sethman provided de information about Haggard's problems to church elders in 2020, saying that he would go public if no action was taken. A group of elders asked Haggard to step down from the pulpit, but Ted Haggard refused, setting up a division in the church, which led to a slow decline, according to Ted Haggard himself in a sermon. And then finally, on April 1st of this year, St. James sold its building for just under $2 million, about $1.95 million. Now, a lot of people are asking where the money went. Haggard said that the proceeds from the sale would help pay all the debts of the church and reimburse Haggard and his wife for the times that he had helped 
to cover church expenses. What do you know about his new church? Well, Haggard took April off before starting this new congregation. It's called Storyhouse Church, and it will also be in his home. It began on May the 1st. He said that he wanted to adopt what he's calling a micro-church or home church model, and about 40 to 60 people are so far attending services. Our next story also involves a well-known pastor who's having problems. Yeah, on Monday, July 25th, Fellowship Baptist Church of Sydney, Montana, released a statement explaining that they had removed their former pastor, Jordan, better known as J.D. Hall, from the church's membership due to what they're calling a failure to demonstrate repentance for sins that he had committed against his family, his church, and his God. Fellowship Baptist Church is not a large or nationally known church, but J.D. Hall has attained a kind of internet celebrity status as a result of his blog and a website, Pulpit and Pen. Yeah, the decision came after Hall was arrested in May and charged with DUI. Uh, Hall submitted his resignation after that arrest, but the church initially rejected it. At the time, the church did not believe their pastor had done anything to disqualify himself from ministry. But following his arrest, Hall blamed his failed field sobriety test on a severe vitamin D deficiency. In June, uh, the church uh, disqualified Hall from pastoral ministry because of what they said was an addiction to Xanax, which is a prescription anxiety medication. In July, the Christian Post reported that Hall's wife told church leadership her husband had physically abused her and her son. Yeah, the alleged abuse was described in an incident report filed by the uh, Sydney, Montana Police Department on June 23rd. Uh, That same report showed Hall had been accused of embezzling $10,000 from the church. Now, both incidents are currently under investigation. Orton, let's look at one more story before the break. It's the story of contemporary Christian musician Amy Grant, who has been named one of the Kennedy Center's five honorees for 2022. That's right. Amy Grant issued a statement after she got the news, and she said, and I'm quoting from the statement here, never in my wildest dreams did I imagine ever receiving this prestigious Kennedy Center honors. I cannot wait to celebrate with my fellow honorees, friends, and family. Thank you for widening the circle to include all of us. The center plans to honor Grant in its 45th class of honorees that also includes actor George Clooney, singer Gladys Knight, Pulitzer Prize winning uh, composer Tanya Leon, and rock band U2. Yeah, the Kennedy Center chairman, David Rubenstein, lauded Amy Grant, saying in a statement that she became the first artist to bring contemporary Christian music to the forefront of American culture, then equally thrived after crossing over into mainstream pop with hit after hit. And today she is revered as the so-called queen of Christian pop. Now, after more than four decades, Amy Grant has album sales exceeding 30 million and more than a billion global streams, uh, earning three multi-platinum albums, six platinum albums, and four gold albums. She was the first contemporary Christian musician to have a number one hit on the pop charts uh, whenever she uh, did a duet with Peter Cetera of the band Chicago in 1986. It was called Next Time I Fall in Love and the first to perform at the Grammy Awards. Eventually, she won six Grammy Awards herself. Well, Warren, we need to take a break. 
When we return, a brazen robber walks into a church service and robs the pastor at gunpoint, making off with more than a million dollars worth in jewelry. I'm Natasha Smith, along with my co-host Warren Smith. We'll be back after this short break. Hello, everyone. I'm Brittany with Save the Storks. Save the Storks is a pro-life ministry passionate about inspiring the world to reimagine the pro-life movement by serving and valuing every life. Save the Storks partners with pregnancy centers all across the U.S. to own and operate a stork bus to offer free ultrasounds and pregnancy tests to women in unplanned pregnancies. Stork buses park near college campuses, abortion clinics, shopping centers, and serve rural communities that lack medical care. Save the Storks is pleased to be the sponsor of the Ministry Watch podcast. For more information about our life-saving organization and how we partner with pregnancy resource centers around the country, go to savethestorks.com. That's savethestorks.com. Welcome back. I'm Natasha Smith, along with my co-host, Warren Smith, and you're listening to the Ministry Watch podcast. Next up, the story I promised before the break. It's the story of a preacher robbed by armed bandits during a church service. Yeah, a preacher known for his close relationship, in fact, with New York City's mayor, was robbed of more than $1 million worth of jewelry on Sunday by armed bandits who crashed his Brooklyn church service just as he was sermonizing about keeping faith in the face of grave adversity. Uh, The Preacher's name is Bishop Lamar Miller Whitehead, who embraces a flashy lifestyle and has often been seen driving around New York in a Rolls Royce. He was delivering a sermon at the Leaders of Tomorrow International Ministries when police say that three robbers walked in. They showed guns and demanded property from Miller Whitehead and his wife, according to police. The service was also being live streamed online. Yeah, it was. And you can actually watch that video, which uh, has been removed from the church's social media channels, but you can find it elsewhere. Miller Whitehead is heard asking his flock, how many of you have lost your faith because you saw someone die? And then just moments later, the robbers entered the church. He then is seen dropping to his hands and knees and repeatedly saying, all right, all right, before a man holding a gun and wearing a black sweatshirt shirt enters the frame. Uh, The man who was also wearing a black face mask is then seen approaching Miller Whitehead, who was hiding behind the gold-colored lectern, and he then began stuffing the bishop's jewelry into his pockets. Police said the robbers fled in a white Mercedes. Yeah, that's right. Um, Miller Whitehead is 44 years old. He formed the Leaders of Tomorrow International Ministries in 2013 after serving a five-year prison sentence for identity theft and grand larceny. Miller Whitehead claims he was illegally convicted. Now, a City Hall spokesperson said that New York Mayor Eric Adams spoke with uh, the Bishop Miller Whitehead after the robbery on Sunday and issued a statement. He said this, no one in this city should be the victim of armed robbery, let alone our faith leaders and congregants worshiping in the house of God. The NYPD is investigating this crime and will work tirelessly to bring the criminals involved to justice. Our next story involves another prosperity gospel preacher. 
Yeah, controversial charismatic evangelist Mario Murillo recently finished a four-day revival called the Living Proof Tent Crusade in your town, uh, Natasha, Colorado Springs. Uh, He was joined by worship artist Catherine Mullins. Each night, he spoke to a crowd of over 3,000 people under a 19,000-square-foot tent temporarily constructed on the property of Radiant Church's North Campus. He told supporters that God had told him to get in that pulpit and destroy the witchcraft in Colorado Springs. Murillo, founder of Mario Murillo Ministries, headquartered in Reno, Nevada, got his start in the 1970s during the Jesus Movement. More recently, he's been an outspoken supporter of former President Donald Trump and a critic of what he calls the leftist media. Other than that, though, we don't know a lot about him. Uh, His ministry is classified as a church, so we aren't able to see its financial statements. However, a search of public records indicates that Murillo owns a $1.8 million home in the Nashville area. Now, Murillo promoted his new book during the rally. It's called Do Not Leave Quietly. Signed copies were sold for $20, and Murillo said that all of the proceeds would go to winning souls. Now, the event, again, was organized by Radiant Church and Inner City Action. Neither group responded to multiple attempts from Ministry Watch for comment. Despite their silence, there is more to this story than even we're reporting here, Natasha. And I would invite our listeners, if they want to read the complete story by uh, a reporter that we had on the scene, Brittany Smith, just go to ministrywatch.com, and that story's right on our front page. Warren, let's look at one more story before our next break. It's the story of a collaboration between three nonprofits to rescue potentially discarded food, feed those in need, and provide employment in San Diego. Yeah, it's a pretty remarkable story. Uh, The organizations include the Christian Ministry, Salvation Army. They salvaged more than 500,000 pounds of food from local retailers while providing part-time employment for 11 people in the process. The initiative was started in April of 2020. The Salvation Army's San Diego Regional Office was already involved in food reclamation, but now it sends vans to pick up donations from retail partners all around the city. Drivers who are selected from the organization's clients are paid $16 an hour, which is a dollar above California's minimum wage. Now, the immediate impact of the program, of course, is that it brings food, baked goods, produce, dairy products uh, especially, uh, that would otherwise be destined for trash bins, brings it into the Salvation Army's food pantries, and that food is then distributed to uh, people with food insecurities around the San Diego area. But a longer-term impact is the impact on the drivers themselves. They receive training and coaching in work skills, such as being at work on time, working with a supervisor, uh, being diligent in their jobs, and working on a resume as well. And they're expected to work part-time while looking for another job. In fact, one of the goals of the program is for the drivers to actually to move on to other employment. And so far, six of the drivers have done so. Warren, we're going to take another break here when we return our lightning round of ministry news. I'm Natasha Smith with my co-host Warren Smith. More in a moment.
Hello, everyone. I'm Brittany with Save the Storks. Save the Storks is a pro-life ministry passionate about inspiring the world to reimagine the pro-life movement by serving and valuing every life. Save the Storks partners with pregnancy centers all across the U.S. to own and operate a stork bus to offer free ultrasounds and pregnancy tests to women in unplanned pregnancies. Stork buses park near college campuses, abortion clinics, shopping centers, and serve rural communities that lack medical care. Save the Storks is pleased to be the sponsor of the Ministry Watch podcast. For more information about our life-saving organization and how we partner with pregnancy resource centers around the country, go to savethestorks.com. That's savethestorks.com. Welcome back. I'm Natasha Smith with my co-host Warren Smith, and you're listening to the Ministry Watch podcast. Now, Warren, we like to use this last segment as a sort of lightning round of shorter news briefs. What's up first? Well, what's up first is more than 100 churches are suing the Florida Annual Conference of the United Methodist Church to immediately disaffiliate with the denomination. The lawsuit comes amid a slow-moving schism in the United Methodist Church, largely over its stance on biblical sexuality and the ordination and marriage of its members who identify themselves as LGBTQ. And according to uh, the head of a new theologically conservative Methodist denomination that recently split from the United Methodist Church, uh, it won't likely be the last group both to split off and possibly even to file lawsuits. Florida is the first of what I would anticipate would be a number of similar lawsuits occurring, said Keith Boyette, who is the transitional connectional coordinating officer of the conservative global Methodist Church. Issues of sexuality are also causing troubles for Anglicans this week. Yeah, they are. Anglican bishops meet once every 10 years, supposedly, uh, for their Lambeth Conference. Uh, They're meeting this week, though they actually haven't met in about 14 years because COVID has kept pushing it back. And they're right now having a conflict over same-sex marriage and then subsequent to that, a scramble by the Archbishop of Canterbury, Justin Welby, to try to hold the global worldwide Anglican communion together. He's asking them to pray, listen, and discuss issues that affect the church and the world, such as discipleship, climate change, and poverty. More than 650 bishops registered to attend, including more than 100 from the Episcopal Church. They represent some 85 million Anglicans worldwide. Yeah, they do. It's a, and that's one of the reasons why we're covering it here at Ministry Watch is because, uh, you know, the Episcopal Church here in the United States has been in pretty serious decline, but uh, worldwide it, it is growing and uh, has, you know, as you said, 85 million members. But outrage erupted in response to documents that were produced in advance of the conference, uh, which runs for another week through August the 8th. Uh, Some in the liberal wing of the church opposed a reference to the entire communion being wholly opposed to same-sex marriage. And in response, Archbishop of Canterbury Justin Welby revised the statement and made a last-minute U-turn on how the talks will be conducted. It's important to note that the vast majority of Anglicans worldwide are, in fact, opposed to same-sex marriage and LGBTQ priests and bishops. But that's not the case here in America. 
Americans represent barely 2% of Anglicans worldwide, but they have about 100 bishops, as you mentioned, Natasha, and that represents about 15% of the total voting bishops that in the Anglican communion that will be meeting at Lambeth. And these bishops also control many of the committees and purse strings for the church. And who's in the ministry spotlight this week? Trans World Radio, which is headquartered right here in North Carolina, uh, Cary, North Carolina, which is a suburb of Raleigh. It began in 1954 to communicate the gospel to the world via radio broadcasting stations. Trans World Radio began its transmitter broadcast in Spain, but is now communicating in about 190 countries and more than 300 languages. Now, Trans World Radio also considers itself an association of churches, and because of this, it does doesn't file a Form 990 with the IRS, so some of its financial information is not available. But we are able to determine that it had about $46 million in annual revenue last year, and it gets a donor confidence score from Ministry Watch of 80. Now, that's not our top score, but it is good enough for Transworld Radio to get a Give With Confidence rating from us. Since we're talking about Form 990s, at the top of the program, you mentioned that the Family Research Council has recently been reclassified as an association of churches. So does that mean they're not releasing their Form 990s? Well, Tony Perkins, the president of the Family Research Council, reached out to me to clarify that while they did have the FRC reclassified as an association of churches, they will, in fact, continue to file their Form 990s with the IRS. Perkins said, and I want to read exactly what he wrote because I think it's important for his voice to be heard in this story. Uh, we did file our Form 990 under our status as an association of churches. We do not have, nor did we seek the status of a church. There is a difference. Our plan at present is to continue filing the 990s. Pursuing the classification as an association of churches is not about avoiding transparency. This is about being able to operate according to our biblical faith as a Christian organization in a city that has grown increasingly hostile to biblical morality. So is he right? Well, he is right on a couple of fronts. Uh, the cultural environment, especially in Washington, D.C., where he is, is hostile towards the Christian worldview now. And he's right that a church is not an association of churches. And I would like to add that I've known Tony Perkins for more than 20 years and have found him to be honorable in every way. So when he says the FRC will continue to file Form 990s, I'm comfortable taking him at his word. However, I will also add that Ministry Watch's position continues to be that filing a Form 990 is an essential ingredient for full and complete transparency. It appears that the FRC has taken an honorable and even elegant path to both provide the organization the religious liberty protections of a church or an association of churches, while at the same time maintaining complete transparency by continuing to file voluntarily its Form 990. Other organizations that have applied for church or association of churches status have not taken this path, and we would encourage them to follow uh, Tony Perkins and the FRC's example. 
Now, of course, each week we feature ministries making a difference. Who did Christina Darnell feature this week? Well, Meridian Baptist Church is one of those uh, ministries. It's in El Cajon, California. It's partnering with a nonprofit housing advocacy group, the city of El Cajon, and a social service agency to host a pilot housing project for homeless single mothers and their children. It's called Meridian Village, and it'll have six tiny houses. They're 96 square feet, so they're pretty small uh, for residents who choose to participate. Plus, there's going to be a house in this little village for social worker and security as well. And by the way, you know, we're seeing these tiny house villages pop up all around the country. One of the reasons why uh, we wanted to feature Meridian Baptist Church uh, this week is because uh, we're seeing so many of them that we've assigned one of our reporters, Steve Raby, to kind of survey the landscape of tiny houses and churches. It's kind of a neat uh, cooperation and collaboration that we're seeing in Austin, Texas, in El Cajon, California, Seattle, Washington, even in Colorado Springs where you are, Natasha. So uh, stay tuned. Within the next couple of weeks, we'll have that story up on the Ministry Watch website. I also wanted to mention another ministry, Father's Heart. It's part of the Assembly of God's Ohio Ministry Network, trains churches in developing outreaches for children and families in the foster care system. The training includes resources of becoming or supporting foster families and hosting respite events to provide breaks for foster parents. The ministry focuses on prevention, intervention, and transition. And one of the reasons I wanted to mention this ministry, Natasha, is that with the Dobbs decision, the end of the Roe v. Wade era, the church is going to need to step up even more. We've been talking about this for weeks. This is one great example where that's actually happening. Do you have any final thoughts before we go? Well, just a quick housekeeping item. I wanted to mention that I will be in Orlando on Tuesday, August the 2nd. That's next week. If you're around, I'd love to join you for lunch. If you live in Orlando and you're on our daily email list, you should have already received an invitation. But if not, or if you know somebody who lives in the Orlando area that you would like to receive this invitation, just shoot me an email and we'll make sure you get one. My email address is wsmith at ministrywatch.com. The producers for today's program are Rich Rosel and Jeff McIntosh. We get database and other technical support from Kathy Guttard, Stephen DeBerry, Emily Kern, Rod Pitzer, and Casey Suddeth. Writers who contributed to today's program include Catherine Peppersteer, Emily McFarlane Miller, Michael Sisak, Brittany Smith, Richard Levy, Adele Banks, Jesse T. Jackson, Christina Darnell, and Steve Raby. Special thanks to Church Leaders and the Nonprofit Times for contributing materials to this week's podcast. And you've been listening to the Ministry Watch podcast. Until next time, may God bless you.